I'm Rodrigo Nunez, and this is The Last Best Thing. It's an interview show centered around one question. What is the last best thing you've watched, read, listened to, or eaten? I ask this question because people love talking about whatever they're enthusiastic about, and I love hearing about it. In today's episode, I'm joined by Eric. Hi, my name is Eric Bravo. So I met Eric back home uh, when I lived in El Paso a couple of years ago. He's a really creative guy. He's a great video editor. We like talking about movies a lot. And he also happens to have a great Instagram feed, which you can just follow him. Um, so when I asked him if he wanted to come on the show, he said, yeah. And he wanted to talk about everything, about the last best everything. And this is the best thing that I've watched, read, listened to and ate. From there, we talk about kind of autobiographical TV shows. We talked about apartheid and living in more than one culture at the same time. We spoke about artists and how they're performing in this quarantine and, and visualizing what you would do in a live performance of an album. We then spoke about quarantine food and just dealing with living in lockdown, kind of like how you get your haircuts. It was, it was a pretty long conversation, but it was really fun. And we touched on all sorts of stuff, which I hope you enjoy. So here's my conversation with Eric. Okay, so Eric, you want to talk about Insecure. It's the last best show you've watched. What made it, what, what, is, what makes it so good in your mind? Well, I think the first thing is we can't stop watching it it's just episode after episode so we've been binging on it like crazy especially uh now that we have lots of time on our hands but i've been a huge fan of shows where the creator the creator's taste the creator's uh musical taste the their way of thinking their way of uh communicating is really obvious and evident throughout the whole series um Insecure being one of them, also shows like Fleabag, uh, mm. Master of None, mm. uh, even Girls uh, with Lena Dunham. Yeah. So the, the thing I like about this show, which is kind of different, I guess, from the other ones, is like the, the format for some of these shows is where like you ask yourself what they're going to get into next and every episode feels like it's something new and it doesn't really relate to the past episodes or like future episodes. Mm. Um, but with Insecure, it has that that pacing and that tone, but it also references back to things you saw in the first season, for example, and you're watching it now in season four or like characters come back in and come back out. So there's def definitely like a very deep narrative structure. Yeah. Um, that I really like, but it also has that tone where it's like, you're sort of watching uh, what they're gonna get into next. I think one of the other things I enjoy is that it's incredibly well-written. And mm -hmm. again, I think this goes back to the the executive producer, which is Issa Rae. Yeah. You you get her, her sense of humor in it. You get her likes in music. I think you get that she understands the audience uh very well like uh mm. like one of the examples that i remember is there's very subtle references that you have to catch them but there's very subtle references to frank ocean throughout mm. it um <laughs> and one of them is like and they don't even have to say like hey we like frank ocean a lot like it's right. her picking up her phone and it's a sticker of frank ocean on the back right. there's a there's a dinner scene where uh, Molly, which is her friend in the show, says, we're going to have too many bottles of this wine we can't pronounce, <laughs> which is a reference to one of Frank Ocean's songs. Yeah. Uh, and then, yeah, so there's a couple of phrases like that that you, they don't push it too hard, but I think it's like a little subtle Easter egg that audiences like myself like enjoy hearing and sort of like, it's like an aha moment. Right. It's kind of like that, that meme of Leo DiCaprio going around where he like points at the screen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that's, yeah. that's one of the things. Like you said, this show's created by Issa Rae, right? Who was famous online like a while ago for, she had like a YouTube channel or something like that called awkward black girl. I don't know if you ever saw that. Actually, actually, no, I, I know that it, it's a book also, but yeah. I found out about her through this show. So mm. I'm barely starting the process of like, uh, getting to know her more and all that, uh, which has been interesting also. 
Yeah. So I'll have to take a look at all of that. No, yeah, but it's definitely the show definitely has that quality where it's kind of biographical, even though it's not directly, but just the world she creates and the way she speaks, the music, the people here. It's like you can definitely tell that it's someone from her generation, which mm-hmm. I think she's like 35. So it's kind of like my generation. And yeah. But, being honest with you, though, that's one of the things that kind of makes me uncomfortable about watching that show. It's just like it, the same thing happened with Girls, which you also mentioned, which was like yeah. kind of really biographical. Where it's just like I can see the people that I went to college with in some of those scenes or like the way people speak or things like that. And I'm just like, oh, man, that's what we sound like. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like I I know that person entirely. <laughs> I know I know that scenario happening to me entirely. One of the things that I enjoyed about Insecure is how down to earth and realistic. And like you said, like relatable it is to our generation, which is kind of like work obsessed. <laughs> and there's a few scenes where like they're, they're, the scenes are the characters at work and it's not necessarily there to serve like comedic purposes or anything like that, but it's there to give you a glimpse of like the reality that these characters live through. So uh, I think like you look at other shows, for example, Master of None, which, mm. which I love, but like sometimes you ask yourself like, how do they have all this free time on their hands? Or like <laughs> yeah. how, how do they have the money to afford doing these things? Or like, yeah. they're just like, walking or taking their like whatever they want to do on a, like a tuesday morning so it's yeah definitely. i think this one should like we can't all go to italy to take pasta making <laughs> right yeah and have like a romantic adventure with some italian the granddaughter of an italian pasta maker but we can all have you know crappy jobs where we're the only minority there or something like that um which which is way more relatable in terms of like from from insecure than master of none for that example exactly like yeah like Master and then you, you watch it and it's like, oh, well, that's cool. Going to a wedding in Italy in the middle, middle of a work week and spending like two weeks over there with like <laughs> no budget uh, in mind. Yeah. And then this one just sort of like brings you back to reality, which is like you said, sometimes uncomfortable to watch because it's like a reflection of ourselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's also really, really entertaining. No, yeah. And I think overall, that's that's the cool thing that's happened with these young creators that it's a lot of those like I said, biographical things where you just, and each one has their own story to tell in their own unique way, but it resonates with people. And um, just like Fleabag also, Fleabag was so good. I think the second, the first episode of the second season, that one where they're just sitting around a dinner table, I think that's my favorite TV episode of any TV show that I've seen in recent memory. Is that where like they start arguing uh she goes to like the bathroom yeah that yeah Yeah, that that was such a good one and it's just like you think about how much of her went into that just i don't know it's like you can tell that a lot of some of those insults or the quips that the parents would give her were way too real (laughs) like i would feel them in my soul sometimes and i'm like oh but it was just such a good show and i I think that's the power of these types of show where when people are drawing on their own lives or maybe i'm just kind of projecting i don't know no, I, I totally get that. And I think like you just answered my question where like it's why are we so obsessed or like drawn to these shows? And I think it's because we relate to these type of shows a lot more than we would to like, uh, I don't know, like this drama. I know we recently watched Money Heist, for example, which is super mm. good and entertaining and all. But it's like I don't I mean, I'm not, I don't see myself doing that, obviously, <laughs> you know, Um <laughs> So I think it's a different type of, of entertainment that we get, but it's it, it's also uh, educational, I think. Yeah, and I still haven't seen Money Heist, and I, pro- <laughs> I, pro- I, I need to give it a chance, but I'm just avoiding it. Um, is there a particular episode or moment in Insecure that really stands out to you that you're like, okay, this is the episode where it takes that leap into like a great, great show? Like, for example, for me, it came back in season one. It was the the one where she takes them, where she takes the kids on the field trip. I think that's the first time that something like that came out on the TV show on, on HBO, at least that it wasn't like a lot of the kids that she worked with. Because back in season one, she worked at a nonprofit mm-hmm. um, and like a lot of the kids that lived in L.A. had never been to the beach just because even though it's there, it's kind of like it's not 
something attainable. You know what I mean? Um, and the other people that she worked with were like, why wouldn't they go to the beach? Or what's the big deal with the beach or something like that? And her taking all those kids that, even though they lived so close to it, had never been to it, just kind of that whole aspect of it was like, oh, okay, this is a show that's telling, like that has a different viewpoint, that has a viewpoint that is more familiar to me than that is not necessarily familiar to other people who can afford HBO, for example. And the best thing about it was that it didn't feel preachy. You get what I mean? Like it didn't feel like an after-school PSA. It was just storytelling, but it was told in a good way and with different voices, like a, a somebody that had lived through that or knew people that lived through that. And that at that moment, I was like, okay, yeah, this is a good show. This is a lot more than just awkward black girl or whatever. It's just like it's a it's a it's a good TV show. Yeah, it has messaging behind it. That's a yeah. really good point. Yeah, I think, I think for me it came more through like a entertainment type of way where it's like, I, I remember like one of the first scenes that hooked me was like the, like specifically the writing about it where like she's, she raps to herself in the mirror mm. <laughs> and I just like hearing those flows, like obviously like those rap scenes have been uh, written and they've been taking the time to like develop and all, but they, they, portrayed or they acted in a way where you feel like on the spot she came up with that which i think also credits like her acting but mm. um but yeah i think like with those co those couple of first scenes like the mirror ones where she's rapping were were like a hook for me because of the writing yeah and overall it's just a really a really good looking show and a really like musically and stylistically it's just a really stylish show i think but I mean, it's a, what on HBO isn't right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think I think HBO is my favorite, uh, my favorite streaming platform for sure. Yeah, and now they're gonna have something weird with the because it's kind of weird if you're if you don't have like HBO as a cable thing because they have HBO Go, HBO Now, and then they're mm -hmm. gonna have HBO Max. Yeah, so it's it's a mess, but they have the best stuff for it's, me too. Yeah, I think another another note on this like that you said about the music is like. I, I found myself constantly like pausing it or like whipping my phone out super quick and like, <laughs> like looking at the caption, typing the lyrics because, because it was like, Oh, like, what is this song? So I think that's also part of the reason that I've enjoyed it a lot since the, since, since the beginning. Yeah, definitely. There I've, I've done that too, where it's just like uh, Google, what's this song as the song is playing. Yeah. Yeah. Sweet. So you also wanted to talk about the last best thing you've read which is Born a Crime by uh, Trevor Noah, right? So what, what did you enjoy so much about that book? So with Trevor Noah, I didn't actually know a lot about his story or anything prior to this. I, I was, or I am a huge Trevor Noah fan because of The Daily Show. Um, but I got a sense of knowing him through there. Uh, so when the book came out, uh, what drew me to it was the title first, which... Uh, just sort of grabs you right off the hook as soon as you look at it, which is born a crime. So, mm. um, so that, that drew me to purchasing it and, and wanting to get, get into it more, obviously like also the fact that it's Trevor Noah. So I think yeah. like what I learned about the book is I learned a lot about a culture and a country and obviously his story that I knew nothing about at all. Um, yeah. I think growing up or in, at least here in the United States, we hear, very briefly the story about nelson mandela yeah and it's just like nelson mandela was a very great man <laughs> that, that's about e it <laughs> yeah exactly and we will see him like portrayed in in like movies or even like in things with like u2 for example but yeah so we hear about we hear a lot about nelson mandela like growing up but all we hear is a name we don't hear like the context or like all right. the great things that he did or like the circumstances in which it took place. At least I didn't growing up. I just knew his name and that's about the extent of it. So yeah. Um, through this book, I think it serves like a great purpose of like teaching you the historical context of apartheid and also yeah. a perspective and a very extremely unique point of view that was living through all of that as opposed mm -hmm. to just, uh, an, let's say an American point of view or historian's point of view yeah. of, of, of South Africa. So I think um, it was just really interesting to learn about that. And I think one of the things I enjoyed a lot too, which 
it's it's very it's 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 an extremely comedic book in a sense okay. but you can tell it's not the priority at all like it's mm. just it's Trevor Noah's personality is like that so in the way that he tells the stories or, and writes the book you get a sense of that but you can tell he's li- literally just telling a story so i think i like that more that before it's humorous it's educational and it's yeah. more of like a, a look into his his life do you get the sense reading it that it's like Trevor Noah can't help but be funny. Like it's just, he's telling you a story, but he has to every once in a while inject a joke or something like that. Or, or is that, or is it like a different feeling? Yeah, exactly. Like it's just the way that he is. And I think it's like, it's something that he's never been able to separate in the fact that like (laughs) the stories that he grows, that, that happened to him, that he grew up with are just like the type of things where you say this could only happen to this person. Mm. It's that like he opens the book saying that he got thrown out of it of a car by his mom. <laughs> so it's just like so that hooks you right from the start. And right. and so the yeah, like the book goes through all of these stories that happen to him how, and then how they connect on a larger scale to his family, particularly his mom, and how that connects to even a larger scale, which is the the country and the right and what was happening, yeah. Right. No. Yeah. I, I I know a little bit because he a lot of his stand up specials are also like he talks a lot about his story and how um, like his mom had to hide him or something like that, which is insane. But I I bet his his book just goes into a lot of weird things because he's a super unique person in that sense. Um, and South Africa is a really unique situation, like from terms of how legal it was to be that racist. Right. Exactly. Like, they, they, like he talks about these rules being written specifically to be racist and they weren't mm. even like subtle about it or yeah. like they weren't underlying it within other laws. Like it was like, no, this is how it is. Yeah. And from him, I learned how difficult it was to be isolated because he was yeah. neither white nor black. He was yeah. what they called colored, which was mixed. Yeah. Uh, which was completely illegal, which is the henceforth the the title. Um but yeah. I think the interesting thing is how he he talks about how he overcame that. And one mm. of the examples is how instead of trying to identify through race or mm. skin color, mm. he identified using language, mm. which was really interesting. So he, he gives this example how he had to learn, I think, like 12 languages or something wow. based on all the South African tribes. And at school or at, or at parks or things like that, they like initially they wouldn't want to talk to him because of his, the color of his skin. But he would approach them and start talking the language that they spoke. And all of a sudden, he <laughs> it was like, "Oh, you're one of us." Uh, and that's how he got his way around. Wow. So I feel like that kind of resonates with me, and maybe it might resonate with you. You know, we grew up on the border. Uh, like I grew up feeling as Mexican as I did American, and yet never quite fully of each but I felt I found it always helped me whenever I could speak like English correctly you know what I mean or not correctly mm-hmm. but at least not with such a thick accent or I would try and learn big words when I was growing up just so I could sound like I knew how to speak English and then the same thing in Spanish like I remember reading in Spanish so that when I would go over to visit my cousins and uncles or whatever like mm-hmm. I wouldn't sound I wouldn't have to use English words right so that's that's super interesting and I don't know if, if you had any experiences like that growing up where it's just like, okay, am I Mexican? Am I American? What's what's going on here? Yeah, for sure. It's like it's like in the like in the movie Selena where the <laughs> the dad in the car is like, oh, we're yeah. not Mexican enough for the Mexicans and yeah. we're not American enough for the Americans. So oh, it's yeah, very no. much like it's its own culture that we grow up with. But I yeah. think we were not that we were taught this, but a lot of the time we're f- sort of frowned upon because we don't have, uh, let's say, like the perfect perfect accent in Spanish oh, yeah. or the yeah, perfect yeah. accent in, in English, English yeah. or like by their standards. And I think yeah. the advantage is, or like the way that we should be looking at it is that we have an advantage in that we're bilingual yeah. and we can actually speak two languages fluently, <laughs> yeah. um, which is which is weird because like it it's crazy how... how uh, incredible that is but at the at like most of the time it's frowned upon yeah definitely 
And that scene in, in Selena that you were talking about, I, that's like a pivotal scene in my growing up. The first time I saw that, like, I think I was, I was in elementary school th still. And I saw that scene and I was all like, this guy knows exactly what, what I'm going through. It was, it was awesome. Cause it's the same. It's like, you got, you're, you got to be more Mexican than the Mexicans and more American than the Americans. And then he says like, it's exhausting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, totally. And it's, it's, that's really unique. I mean, and for Trevor Noah, it must've been even crazier because he has to go with 11 languages, right? There's like 11 subcultures and then the white culture and he's in neither, which is must have been insane. So, yeah, like one of the really interesting points is how many official languages there were in South Africa and how he says he learned all of them, which like at first you're like, OK, did he really know all of them? But then you look <laughs> at like the writing in the book yeah, and you're sort of like convinced. And then th there's another aspect to the book, which is something that I want to actually take part in, which is the audio book. Hmm. which uh, in this case, I think is super essential right. to, to this book because he narrates it himself. Hmm. And uh, so you get a sense of like all of the, all of the characters uh, in, in his life or all the people in his life. You, you, hear the, you hear the languages, you hear the accent, you hear, right. you, you hear it from him as opposed to just any narrator. So hmm. I'm, uh, I'm going to listen to it once yeah. more uh, I, the first time I, I i only read it but i want to go back to this book and just listen to it this time and just hear it from from him i think it it might take on an even more deeper sense right. of the of the book and i think like a more personal one too right definitely and you know it's cool that you mentioned that because audiobooks have been doing a lot of stuff like that where before it used to just be some random person reading now it's like, for example, Malcolm Gladwell's new book, Talking to Strangers, the audiobook version is actually like the interviews in the book with like the actual people. So it's that that's pretty cool. And this is one of those other other type of audiobooks that definitely sounds like it'd be worth it. Now, do they mention or does he go at all into the Daily Show and how he got that or anything no. about that on the book? No. And I think that's what I enjoy the most. Like at, mm. at the most, he says like, he started doing comedy shows and it's literally just like that. Like he, okay. I just started, I started doing comedy shows around the country. I got to travel okay. a bit, but the, the focus is more on his, his family, the, the historical context and him and what he grew up in. So I really, I really enjoyed that. It wasn't like him trying to boast a success story <laughs> right. at all. Uh, it was more of like, this is what I lived through and uh, and this is how it shaped the person that I am today. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's super cool. Because like you said, he could, it could have very easily just been like a victory lap. Like, look where I came from and look at me now or something like that. But just having that first part is really cool. Exactly, yeah. And uh, so, Eric, you also wanted to talk about the last best thing you've heard. And for that, you wanted to talk about James Blake. Now, why, what, what was so great about James Blake or what in particular made it so that you wanted to talk about him? So with James Blake, I mean, I've been, I've been listening to his music for, for a while and I've enjoyed it, but it was one of those artists where it's like, you, you have it, but it's not your favorite song. It's just really good. Yeah. Um, and with this last album that came out, it was just like, it consumed my top Spotify wrapped that comes out at the end of the year. It, it yeah. was all of my 2019 for sure. Mm -hmm. And I don't know why I was so drawn to it. I just really liked this, this past album. And I think a lot of it like goes back to certain moments that I've lived through that the song was like playing or that I was just like having it on back, like playing it in the background and currently going through something. So I think it yeah. has to do a lot with like, memory in a way right. um going to actually on our way moving here to philadelphia mm. as we as we like drove into the city we mm. were listening to that album so one of the songs that was playing on the album sort of like captures not only like the the tone and all that of the song itself but like captures the the feelings that we were feeling mm. at the moment yeah so it was like this sense of like excitement and uh, but also like uh, nervousness and uh, 
sort of like overwhelming, but in a good sense. And so it was just all of that. So going back to the album, that's like the feeling it also, it also gives. And so, yeah, I think it's just particularly that, like not only like the, the style of music itself, um, which was completely new for him. I know in the past, like James Blake had been doing more what people would call like sad or melancholic or, or like instrumental yeah. experimental tracks. So this album was like a complete jump from that, but you still got a sense of like who he was, which I, I enjoyed a lot. Um, no, yeah, definitely. Because I would use the old James Blake as like background reading music <laughs> just because it's kind of like entrancing and it's kind of like low key and kind of chill. So I would use it as reading music, but this new one, I couldn't. And it is very cinematic, like you mentioned. So I can totally see it like latching onto some memory or like evoking some feeling in the way that very few songs or very few artists can. So it's super interesting that you that you guys listen to it on your drive over. Yeah. And it's I think, like you said, with like the past one, I always thought, like, what do you do if you listen to this live like obviously you're appreciating the music and you're listening to it, but it's, it's kind of like, I don't know if you've thought about that, but it's like, it's great. It's great to like listen to in this, in this scenario. But I think yeah. on, I haven't, I haven't seen him live, but like in a live setting, it, it probably takes a different way where I, I feel kind of weird. Yeah. But it the, wouldn't be acceptable for me to start reading a book. in his concert. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And, uh, but with this album, like it's something that like I, can't wait or like i wish i could hear it live just because of how Mm. vast it is and uh and how how different it is and how uh i think developed in itself it is i know like one of our favorite songs on it is mulholland which is like one where it it feels like one of his old songs but then it just takes on this like very hip-hop type beat In, but still in like this slow sense and it's just a song that will scream on the top of our lungs no yeah definitely and that's that's a that's a cool thought to have while listening to music that i really only have when something is super complicated but i've never had it about something that's kind of too simple where i'm i always think like you know when they do like recording tricks or something like that i'm like there's no way they could perform this live and have it actually be a performance but it's interesting that you thought the other way where something is like kind of too slow or too chill or too, I don't know, I don't like too entrancing or something like that, how it would work live. Um, is there any other type of music that you that you've listened to where you're just, where you're like, I don't think this would work live or something? Well, I think they're finding new ways to do this. Like, I mm. think one of the albums, which I think, I mean, you, you, you hear it in 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 movies and and you hear it just like like you said like whether you're reading or just like sort of relaxing at home but it's it's is max richter Mm. the the composer and he made a song he made an album about i think it's called songs for sleep Mm. and they they did a set of live shows where you actually go sleep while they play it live (laughs) okay wow which is Crazy. incredible. Like yeah. I think that's so that's so awesome. It's something that I would I would love to do. So I think it's like you just have to like look at the context or like how the the live performance is is delivered. I know some of these albums can be played with like like if you're listening to the scores or soundtracks for movies where they'll play um, the movie live and as the orchestra plays it or the composer's playing it live. So yeah, yeah, I, I think it's that. Yeah, those performances, I've actually been to one, and I know that, like, Hans Zimmer did it at Coachella or something. Mine wasn't as cool. We actually went to a showing of The Little Mermaid <laughs> with a Dallas Symphony Orchestra doing, <laughs> like, a live play. So it was just, like, it was nice, but it wasn't as, as epic as it could have been. I remember watching that the Hans Zimmer one, and it's, like, if you listen to... I said to myself, if I were to listen to Time from the Inception score... Mm live i don't know what would happen to me where it's like (laughs) that song is uh it's it's a type of song where like you'll find really random videos on youtube about anything and they'll put that one underneath it or something just because it's so emotional and it's so complex um but yeah i find with with james with this last album assume formal i find myself like 
I've gotten so obsessed with it that like I'm looking into what what he samples on mm. each album, and then I'll go back and listen to the song that's that's where the, where he pulls a sample from, and mm. so those songs in itself like are music is it, it's music that I hadn't heard before and. But it's also incredible. So, yeah. Right. There's something rewarding about those like dense songs, right? Where you can find the sample and it kind of gives you like a different story. I used to do that a lot with the old Kanye songs. Like he would chop up things and use like a, a line from one song in his beats and turn it into like magnified into a whole beat. And then you go listen to the original song and you're just like, this kind of has a similar feel or essence to it. And it, it was great to see how like t how a talented artist like Kanye could extract that feeling and keep it, but turn it into something else. That exactly. Like I, these guys are, or, the, or these people are on another level. Cause like I all listen back to the, the, like that, those same tracks. And it's like, how in the world <laughs> did they pull that others or like their song from this sample? Like the things that they're probably hearing or that their mind is processing during that is just crazy. Yeah, and I always wonder, like, is it? I wonder if these guys even think about it, or like, or is it more of an of an instinct or something like that? But it's just, it's just I, trying to explain genius. I don't think you can. Yeah, one of the one of my favorite songs, which is uh, which does a lot of sampling, is "On Hold" by the XX, mm. and he Jamie XX he samples uh, a song by Daryl Hall and John Oates in it. Okay. But it turns into this, I don't know how else to describe it, but banger <laughs> where like there's no way I don't think like anyone but him could have heard that when he listened to that song and sampled it and it became the song that it did. Hmm. Yeah. No, there's some genius there to to using samples in the right way, not just, you know, extracting and looping, which is really cool. Now, James Blake is also performing on on like IG Live, right? Yeah, yeah. So those have been super entertaining. I know, like throughout the day, we'll we'll put just something in the background, whether it's like a, a concert or like a music or whatever, while we work from mm -hmm. home. Um, and one of the things that started coming up was James Blake doing these Instagram live shows where it's him at the piano and mm -hmm. he just goes song song by song and. He sometimes plays like requests. He covered uh, Ray Charles, George on my mind. He he performed uh, Godspeed by Frank Ocean, which he also produced and write. But like hearing it from him is entirely different. Yeah. Uh, he covered Billie Eilish also. <laughs> so uh, I think like a really interesting thing is it, it may seem like like it's nothing on like on the surface. It's just him playing an Instagram live. But I think. It also talks about potentially where music could also branch into mm. in, in a sense, specifically talking about like quarantine and this virus and yeah. the fact that we don't know which way it's headed. Um, and uh, concerts and festivals may be, may be out of the question in the, for the proximate future. future yeah. yeah, exactly. So, he said he said something on one of the lives that I thought was really interesting that I think did it that came off as a joke in a way, but it also was like a very serious thing is like this could potentially become like a really big thing where mm. he he said it was there was about twenty five thousand people watching. Wow. And he said this is the largest show he had ever played. Wow. Uh or, or something within those those words. But it's still like yeah that's that's kind of true like the the, <laughs> it, the the people that he was able to reach with him at a piano uh and just getting comments uh flown in and, and articles written about it after and all that i think was really interesting but it also was one of the i it, i don't know it felt innovative to me right now there's so many artists doing like lives or going on twitch or doing these kinds of things because you know we can't all come together and there's a lot of room for for innovation or for new things, new experiences. Yeah, exactly. And I think we might not see this right now, but I think two or three years from now, we're going to be uh, purchasing things or listening to things or seeing things that 
came out of this time of of isolation and quarantine that we had absolutely no idea or like just a new yeah. way of life to do things yeah kind of like kind of like this yeah no you know what's another one that is super interesting to me that happened in quarantine i don't know if you saw it or heard of it but travis scott had a concert on Fortnite, <laughs> and yeah. it was insane like i i wanted to join it but i didn't i saw like i saw a youtube recording of it and it's like a giant Travis Scott and the world, like the whole sky is changing colors and he's morphing into these things and gravity suddenly goes away. And it's just like, and there's thousands of people there because you can see their avatars and they're all like dancing or freaking out and things like that. And I was just like, I would love to see this in VR just because it was an amazing like experience. There was visually, sonically, it was just crazy. And I thought to myself, maybe this is like the first of many future VR concerts or Fortnite concerts or whatever, because that was crazy. Exactly. I saw the I saw the screenshot. I didn't watch the thing. I just saw a screenshot of a like a huge Travis Scott. Yeah. And uh, and then like just a bunch of people like looking up to it or him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And uh, and I was like, whoa, <laughs> this this is like so this makes me like look back to ready player one or certain right. episodes of, of black mirror and say like, okay, so we're not that far from this happening. <laughs> no. Yeah. And dude, you got to go on YouTube and look this up because it's so weird when you see this giant and it's like performing because it's doing like moves as if it were on a big stage and stuff like that. And you see these tiny little Fortnite avatars just like dancing in the bottom. It is so surreal, but it was like being there when, the first time that like the floor just gave out and all of them start falling at once. And then you look up and Travis Scott is sitting on the moon. It was just crazy. Um, but it was like a concert, you know what I mean? And it was totally everyone separated, which I, I, I feel, I feel what you're saying that it's just like something's happening in the entertainment space where we're going to look back at this time and be like, wow, a lot of stuff was born in this era. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I, I don't know for me, like, Maybe I'm like one of those like, maybe I'm speaking too soon or it sounds negative, but I feel like there, <laughs> the, it won't be like, there won't be anything equal to seeing it live. Yeah. Uh, like just the experience of getting it live. But this is definitely going to be an option now. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm, I'm sure people said that when like streaming platforms started to come out and it was like, oh, but it's not like going to the movies, which in my <laughs> personal opinion, like it's still not like I'd much rather watch something in like a theater. Oh, yeah. But it's still becoming a very viable alternative where like it's uh it's recognized by everyone now so i think that that's where it might lead to yeah i'm so depressed that the the movies that are being released straight like instead of going to to movie theaters are doing so well because i really like going to the movies and i hope i really hope that they come back after all of this but i'm part of the problem man because we rented um trolls world tour <laughs> I was about to say, yeah. <laughs> but it's just like, that's the only one. I regret it. It wasn't worth it. But I felt like I needed something that was just dumb and colorful to get my mind off of the news, right? And that one that one broke records, apparently. So I think like, uh, I mean, maybe it's because of the, the time that we're going through or whatever, but it also provided like a proof that like, hey, we can do like video on demand releases and still be very successful. I think like these past couple of, of years with like, uh, the the Irishman, uh, mm. Ro uh, Roma, um, yeah. Marriage Story, they're they're doing very well, and yeah. but still getting recognized on some type of of uh, international international level, you know. So yeah, it's definitely the whole entertainment spectrum is definitely changing and adapting to to the times of quarantine a lot better than other sectors are. I feel. Yeah, but like, like to me, for example, like I'd still much rather. I know some of those movies, for example, had to get theatrical releases in order to be, uh, be up for like award shows and stuff. So I I tried to make it out as much as I, as much as I could to watch it in theaters before watching it over yeah. here. I know there's like an ongoing joke with Scorsese about like <laughs> watching his movies on like a Nokia phone or <laughs> yeah. things like that. So yeah. Yeah, just as Marty intended, and then you find some like, exactly. somebody on like a Game Boy Color or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. like that. Yeah, and um, Eric, you also wanted to talk about the last best thing you ate, 
And I'm really interested about hearing about this because I think I have a similar experience to you. So why don't you tell me what it was? Okay, so the best thing that I've been eating recently, and it's been actually maybe out of seven days a week, it's six more <laughs> six days out of the week. It's every morning is a uh, homemade Texas uh, homemade Tex-Mex breakfast burrito. Okay, and I think. Obviously, the style came from Tex-Mex, but specifically from a restaurant in Austin, mm. which is called Juan in a Million. Okay. Yeah, I, have, I've heard of it. Yeah, <laughs> and they have this, like, one-pound breakfast burrito. <laughs> uh, and it has, like, uh, well, it has, like, egg, and it has uh, potatoes, and it has a bunch of, like, maybe an extra pound of, like, cheddar cheese on a flour tortilla, so... <laughs> yeah, so the way we do it is we we do two eggs and mm. then uh we add bacon uh we'll uh like a sausage sausage links cut up uh we'll we'll add chorizo oh. and then cheddar cheese on top of all of that like just layers and layers of cheddar cheese and then <laughs> uh and then we top it off with that like that chunky medium red salsa Okay. You know which one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that some people <laughs> I, it's it's like a love or hate thing. Like either you yeah. hate it and say it, it it's it tastes like nothing or it's yeah. like it 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 completes the plate and for me it does that. Mm. No, yeah, totally. I have something very similar where my burrito is like this. I put I, like I take the flour tortilla, right? And then I put beans on it first. Then I do two eggs, but I do them like so that there's a runny yolk. I don't I don't scramble them or anything like that. Uh-huh. I do the two eggs and then I do either ham or bacon, but lately it's been ham just because I'm cheap. Sometimes it's bologna when I'm feeling really really cheap. But uh and then I'll put uh <laughs> the the jalapeños from the La Costeña can, you know the ones that are like yeah, not the circle yeah. ones but like the ones that are like curtidos or whatever. Uh-huh. So I put some of those and that's my breakfast burrito. Unfortunately though we ran out of flour tortillas and my wife doesn't want to buy anymore. <laughs> <laughs> oh man no yeah but uh i i feel you because it's just there's something so satisfying about a breakfast burrito right and it's something that when you're far away from home it kind of like reminds you of home even though i never really had that back home like it's a it's a creation that i had something about it just reminds me of home exactly yeah like if you were if you were at home at least growing up we probably wouldn't make this we do something else or like you, you would have like these burritos and all but it wasn't like like this, like this, you would find at like a, like at a breakfast burrito place, like, yeah, uh, yeah. like in those. So, but I think, yeah, like being far from home and having this is definitely like just, just with like the title itself, which is like a Tex-Mex thing <laughs> it, it is like my whole identity in one word. So, uh, so I think it does, it does that. Like it's, it's food that also brings back memories and like, has a sense of comfort in reminding you of, of of home yeah and that's that's the power of food right it, it encapsulates an entire identity it encapsulates an entire history um and is there is there any other quarantine food that you've been eating a lot of or is it just a burrito there's something that we haven't been eating a lot but it's something that we enjoy mm. tons which is we we try to we try our best to make a seafood boil Ooh. Uh yeah, and that's been that's been incredible. I don't make it actually. My wife makes it, and she's incredible <laughs> at making it because I'd probably ruin it. But it's uh, well, it's it's most most of the time it's like uh, it's shrimp, okay, um, or like and like shrimp and scallops. It, I mean, if 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 we're like balling, then we'll add crab, but that's yeah. that's not that's not common. But <laughs> so we'll we'll do that, and then we'll add uh, we'll add red potatoes and corn Ooh. and then uh and sausage sorry uh <laughs> sorry i was looking at dama to give me that the response the full recipe <laughs> yeah and uh and then so we'll let that we'll let that boil i think this last time we left it for like six hours or so oh, wow yeah and then uh and oh my god it's incredible i think we, during quarantine we've had it twice but before that we were we try to make it often or we would go uh, have it at places. Yeah. yeah. No, yeah. that I, I find that even though I'm not eating, because we used to eat out almost like every weekend, every day of the weekend, which is kind of irresponsible. So, but what I've been doing now is I've been making pancakes more than I ever have in my life. 
And it's like the one source of joy, dude. <laughs> it's just like every Sunday I'm like, oh, I'm going to make pancakes on Sunday. So it, it's all going to be all right. <laughs> yeah. And I have a, like a whole method down. It's just like there's nothing fancy about it. You just got to make sure you butter the griddle very well in between each each new pour. Right. It's just like if you can if, if you nail that, it's going to be really good. It's the key to a good pancake. And like I said, maybe before this quarantine I made pancakes at home. Actually, I never made pancakes at home before the quarantine. But ever since since this whole thing started, it's already been like five or six times. And it's like I, I I'm like this this I need this on Sundays to make it through. Exactly. Yeah. Like these things have become part of our routine, which is weird because I feel like when we weren't in quarantine, it was just like like at least for me, it was like a very strict schedule like mm. eating schedule and all that and now it just like i'm eating constantly throughout the day <laughs> uh i don't know if that's happened to you also it happened to me but we ran out of snacks and i'm I'm telling you, like we started off with a big bag of hot cheetos and ale was like this needs to last like two months i finished it within a week <laughs> oh, so man. it's just like she has not bought anything else after that yeah the thing is like it at least we try to like schedule or plan our grocery trips. Yeah. Uh, but we're, we also live extremely close to a, like a corner market. So it's mm. like if we if we like just want like one snack, like we'll go buy one chocolate bar. Or we'll go buy <laughs> one thing just because we want to snack on that. Yeah. Yeah. What I miss the most actually is going out for like good coffee. Because I don't have an espresso maker at home or so that's what I miss the most. I haven't had a good cup of coffee in like three. It's got to be like three months already. In a while. Yeah. I'm trying to think of like what I really miss from. I mean, I, I, I love being at home, so it's <laughs> yeah. that's an advantage. But I'm trying to think of like if there's something that I really, like really, really miss, um, which I think would be like like going to go like dining out which oh, yeah. i think is the obvious one also probably everyone's response yeah but i mean some people it's i don't know like the nail salon i've been hearing a lot of that <laughs> but <laughs> uh i've been I, i've been getting my haircut here at home which okay. has been great yeah uh we're gonna come out of this uh we're gonna come out of this uh quarantine with like a, a new concept for a barbershop i think <laughs> yeah definitely more a newfound appreciation for the barber because I haven't cut my hair and I don't I don't trust myself and I don't trust my wife with cutting my <laughs> hair because I'm just like the stakes are too high. Before I started going to a good barber, I used to go to like you know like supercuts or whatever. Mm -hmm. But there was this one supercuts that um this lady just messed me up and I left so discouraged. Like I would driving home, I would catch glimpses of myself in the mirror. And it would bum me out, dude. Like, I was just like, I look ridiculous. I look like somebody's uncle. Like I don't look, <laughs> I don't look like myself. <laughs> and after that, like I went to like an actual barber, and it just makes a world of difference. So like I don't, I don't, I don't want to cut my own hair and feel like somebody's uncle again. Yeah, I totally get that. I think, <laughs> I think I was less scared. I, I don't think I was scared in the, like. So one of the first bonding experiences before we were even dating that Dama and I had was mm. I let her cut my hair. Oh, wow. Uh, I don't remember the, like, we were just, just like hanging out and it was just an idea. And I was like, yeah, like go for it. And <laughs> it, so it didn't come out too well. And I remember we took a trip the, the day, like the day before, the day after we, like a group of us went, traveled to Marfa and so I was going with this whack haircut and I went into this barbershop there uh, and the man left me worse, like complete, like it was, it was really, really bad. Like I think I looked like a, like taxi, like Robert De Niro and taxi driver, I think at that point. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I have pictures and all, like it was, it was crazy. And then, uh, and then the second time she cut it was, on our honeymoon and it was just like i don't i don't know i think it was just, since we we went to florida so it was going to be it was going to be humid it was in in early may so i don't want to be like worrying about hair and all that so she cut it there and there's a photograph of that one also of that moment 
<laughs> and then uh and then so this time we kind of prepared for it in a way like we watched yeah. several youtube tutorials and then we'll pause so that like the first haircut took like an hour and 45 minutes i think oh wow um <laughs> yeah and they progressively i think we're on our fourth or fifth one now oh, i think we, we've been cutting it like once every week and a half i think <laughs> uh and it's 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 like i've been like i've been feeling fresh after after coming out you know so it's oh nice yeah that's yeah. good dude yeah. i i tried watching one of those youtube videos and it was like this italian guy or something like that he had like an italian accent and then he's like, i'm gonna show you how to cut how to cut your own hair then the first thing he says is, now I've been cutting my own hair for about nine years. And I'm like, dude, this is help. This does not help. Me. <laughs> it's like step one, cut your own hair for nine years. Oh, I, yeah. I failed there. We need stories of people that are doing it along with this, you know, like alive or something. <laughs> yeah. No, I think that shows a lot of uh, a lot of trust. And uh, I, I think you guys are going to go really far because you trust with the with the haircut. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's like for me i i wear ball caps a lot mm. like I, I love collecting ball caps and i love wearing ball caps so it was like uh like the worst possible thing is like i look exactly the same as i do yesterday because i had a ball cap on <laughs> so it was right. like, like there wasn't much of a risk factor but i've actually worn less ball caps because i've liked the haircut too so <laughs> that's yeah. good yeah that's good now um is there anything else that you want to uh tell the listeners about your burrito or anything else about quarantine life because this kind of just became a conversation on quarantine life which was really cool yeah um i don't know stay stay healthy stay safe <laughs> do your part so that we can all go back outside soon stop <laughs> stop messing around <laughs> yeah and i think we'll we'll all get through this right um so eric is there anything else that you want to tell the listeners um about any of the four things that we talked about, we spoke about Insecure, we spoke about Born a Crime, we spoke about James Blake, and then about your homemade Tex-Mex burrito. Mm. No, just watch Insecure, read <laughs> Born a Crime with the audiobook, listen to yeah. James Blake album, and it like hit me up for the recipe for this burrito, and that's it. Yeah, definitely. Well, Eric, thanks so much for talking with me. Yeah, man, for sure. Thank you for having me. The Last Best Thing is recorded, edited, and produced by me, Rodrigo Nunez. I want to thank Eric once again for joining me and having such a fun conversation with me. You can find him on Instagram at Eric Bravo. Same thing on Twitter. He's a really fun follow. Like I said, really creative guy. Um, he's got a great eye for photography and video. Just, um, yeah, if you like this show, share it with a friend. Also, subscribe. Follow us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, wherever you're listening to. But above all, share it with a friend because that really helps the show. So thanks and see you later. This is the Irrelevant Podcast Network. Thanks for listening.